And on behalf of our staff, I want to wish you and your family a happy Thanksgiving. I can't believe it's already time for Thanksgiving. And we pray that you have a blessed time. But we also acknowledge that it may be difficult in this year of 2020 to be thankful, to be grateful. Sometimes it feels like there's not much for which to be thankful. I've seen a lot of memes on Facebook that some of you have shared about if 2020 was a, uh, and, and I thought I'd share a few of those with you, uh, at least the appropriate ones that I can. Uh, some of you said, if 2020 was a slide, yeah, that, that'd be about right. <laughs> or if 2020 was a swing, yeah, that's about right too. <laughs> How about if 2020 was a bag of chips? Yeah, orange juice and toothpaste. Wouldn't that be a great flavor if 2020 was a bag of chips? How about this? If 2020 was a scented candle? Yeah, that's about right, too. <laughs> or if 2020 was a pinata? Yeah. <laughs> Have fun with that one. You know, sometimes it can seem like it's hard to be thankful when there's so much in your life that is going wrong. It's hard to be thankful when life is painful. It's hard to be thankful whenever it feels like there's just one problem after the next. And this year has been a difficult year. And so I don't blame anyone for approaching the Thanksgiving season this year with the attitude, I just don't feel it this year. Or with the thought, it's just hard to really get into the spirit of Thanksgiving I mean, COVID-19 has devastated many people's lives across this country and across the world. I have personally performed a few funerals of people who passed away of complications from COVID. Right now, we have a church member in the hospital suffering with COVID. And she's not only hurting and suffering, but she's praying her husband, who just came home from open heart surgery, does not get COVID. And there are Many of you who for months at a time could not see your loved ones in their home because you were afraid of passing on this to them or you couldn't go to a nursing home and visit your own parent. I know a woman personally who said to me, Ricky, you do not know how hard it has been for all these months to have to look at my mother through a window at her nursing home but not to be able to hold her hand and touch her and kiss her on the cheek. And her mother, who suffers with dementia, she said, doesn't understand. It's been a hard year for many people. When I came back uh, from my illness, uh, my surgery this year, the first two weeks I was back, I conducted five funerals in 10 days. I've conducted five more since then. It's been a difficult year for many people. For some of you, you've hurt financially because you lost your job or your job has cut back your hours or your job cut back your pay and it's been a difficult year. For some of you, it has nothing to do with COVID. You were in a difficult marriage before COVID and this has only made it worse. And you're wondering if your marriage is going to survive even through the rest of this year. For some of you, the struggle has been your own health concerns or you've been concerned about what you see going on in our culture, in our society, and the hatred and the division, and you worry about the kind of future your child is going to inherit. It can be hard to be thankful when life is painful. 
And I want you to know I see that and I acknowledge that and I understand that. And there have even been times in my own life, and I'm just going to be honest as your pastor, because I think that's what you expect, don't you? You don't want an honest pastor, right? Uh, you don't want a pastor who's going to be dishonest. But I'm just going to be honest with you. There have been times even in my life where I felt overwhelmed with the, the grief or the struggles or the fear or the anxiety or the exhaustion of what this year has brought and sometimes it was just hard to find something for which to be thankful. And if you feel that way, you come to church and then it's the Thanksgiving season and you hear a verse like this one out of 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 18. It, it says, let's put that up on the screen, that verse. It says, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And you hear that verse and it almost feels offensive. You're saying, in light of everything I'm going through, not only does the preacher expect me to be thankful, but God expects me to be thankful, that I'm to be thankful in all circumstances. Can't we let Thanksgiving take a pass in 2020? Yeah, we'll be thankful some other time when things are better, but how can I be thankful in all circumstances? And that verse can feel like a stab at your heart when you're already feeling depressed and you're already feeling discouraged. But dear friend, I want you to know there is a key for being grateful even when life is painful. I don't think we have to bury our head in the proverbial sand. I don't think God is saying, come on, just grin and bear it. I don't think God is saying, just phone it in, just Act like you're grateful, but you don't really have to be grateful. I don't think God is saying to us, ignore your pain, ignore your problems. I don't think God is saying, well, if you had more faith, you wouldn't be discouraged. If you had more faith, you wouldn't be depressed. I don't think that's what God is saying when he says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I think, I think what we're hearing is there's a, there's a secret here, there's a key here that'll help us to be grateful even when life is painful. Because all circumstances mean all circumstances. Good circumstances, pleasant circumstances, but also bad circumstances and difficult circumstances. And so if you're struggling to know how to be grateful when life is painful, you're in the right place today. And I'm just going to share with you something that God has kind of helped me with, and I hope it's an encouragement to you today. I want to take you to the New Testament gospel, John the fourth gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And I want you to turn to John chapter 6. And if you are in John chapter 6, we, we're going to look at verses 1 through 15 uh, to begin with. And, and this is an, an incident in the earthly ministry of Jesus that helps us find the key to being grateful when life is painful, to giving thanks when it feels like this year has taken more than it's given. How can we be thankful even when life is painful? Well, here in John chapter 6, verse 1, Jesus has been preaching and teaching. He's been healing people of their illnesses. And because of that, his popularity has reached its pinnacle among the people. I mean, Jesus is like a superstar in his day. Everywhere he went, crowds followed him. If there had been paparazzi in his day, he would have had them following him, taking his picture everywhere he went, trying to get a glimpse of him everywhere he went. 
And that's where we pick up here in John chapter 6. Jesus is in the region of Galilee. He's, he's making his way around from village to village around a large body of water, a large lake called the Sea of Galilee. So we read this in John 6 verse 1. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Verse 2, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. The, the people are just following Jesus, and Jesus is trying to get away from them. He, he's walking around this, this magnificent lake. It's the Sea of Galilee, but it's actually a freshwater lake. But it was so large, it was called the Sea of Galilee. And here it's called the Sea of Tiberias. Uh, it it kind of gained that name uh, because... Herod Antipas, the Jewish ruler, uh, wanted to honor uh, his Roman patron, Tiberius. And so he, he builds a city named Tiberius, and he renames the lake the Sea of Tiberius. And so that's where Jesus is, and the people are following him. And they're following him, as John says, because they saw the signs. They saw the miracles that Jesus was doing on the sick. They weren't following Jesus because they knew who he was and wanted him to be their Lord and Savior. They're following him because they wanted to see the next show. They wanted to see the next powerful thing he would do. They wanted to see the next miracle he would perform. Verse 3, Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat down with his disciples. It's not a sermon on rest, but sometimes it's good to get away and sometimes it's good to just sit down and rest. And that's what Jesus is trying to do here. Verse 4, now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Now get the picture. Jesus, from his vantage point, sees thousands upon thousands of people from the surrounding regions gathering to hear Jesus and to see Jesus. And Jesus looks at these people and knows that it's coming time for a meal. And they're out here in the wilderness with us. Where are they going to get food to eat? And so we ask Philip, who is from Bethsaida, right there in that region. So Philip, you know this area well. You know where all the, the Walmarts and the, uh, uh, all the shopping centers are. You know where the Wawas are. So, so he asked Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? And, and notice verse, five, or verse uh, 6. He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Jesus is testing Philip. Jesus already knows what Jesus is going to do. Jesus always has a plan. Uh, Jesus is never caught by surprise. But he wants to test Philip and his disciples to see how they respond in the, great, in the face of great need. How do you respond when you don't have what you need to have? How are you going to respond when all you've got is Jesus? So he's testing Philip. Verse 7, Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. Now, a denarii was the uh, basic wage for a day's work for a common laborer. So if you were just a common person, you worked hard all day, you would get a denarii. So basically, Philip is saying, even if we had almost a year's salary, 
it would not be enough to feed these people where they would even have more than some crumbs. We, we just don't have what we need. We just don't have enough, not even to give them a little bite to eat. We just don't have it. Verse 8, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. Barley loaves were the basic bread of a poor person. The more well-to-do people liked bread made of wheat. Barley was a little lower quality of bread. And so he says, well, uh, I've got this little boy here, and he was smart enough to pack a lunch. I mean, you have to give that boy credit. He thought ahead. And so he brought his little lunch, and he had five little barley loaves of bread, and he's got two fish. I think of sardines. They were a pickled fish. No more than, than a mouthful of fish. It was just enough for this little boy's lunch and to get him through the day. And Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, asked this question, but what are they for so many? What, what are these little bites of bread and fish in the face of this great crowd? Jesus, we don't have it. We don't have what we need. We can't give what we don't have, Jesus. And what we do have is little. It's just not enough. And they're dealing with this, this problem. And all the while, Jesus is testing them to see how they're going to respond. So Jesus shows he's in control. Verse 10, Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. I love it in Mark's gospel. Mark says, there was much green grass. In fact, this event that Jesus is about to perform, this miracle he's about to perform, is the only other miracle recorded in all four Gospels than the resurrection. So you've got the resurrection of Jesus recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And what Jesus is about to do is also recorded. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The only other miracle Jesus performed. It must be important. And he says, have the people sit down. There's much green grass. In my mind, harkens back to the Jewish people in the wilderness. And Moses saying, where are we going to feed all these people? How are we going to do it? And God supplies manna from heaven. My mind harkens back to the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. This is the shepherd of Israel at work here, looking over these people like sheep without a shepherd, and he's saying, I am who they need. Have them sit down. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. And that's just the men. And you know where there were men? This wasn't a promise keepers conference. There, there are women and there are children. Most scholars say there were upwards of 15 to 20,000 people out here following Jesus, needing food. And here's what Jesus does in verse 11. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. Do you know what Jesus did? 
He offered the father thanks. Thanks for what they had. Thanks for this meager meal. Thanks for this little lunch from a little boy. You see, this is, this is ridiculous. That's fine. But look at, look at the great need that they don't have. But even in the face of what they didn't have, Jesus gave thanks for what they did. And I think there's a lesson here, friend, for me and for you. It is so easy for us to get our eyes only on what we don't have. Only on what we need. Only on what we feel that we lack. And we forget to start by being grateful for what we do have. Giving thanks for what we have in front of us. It may not be much. It may not even feel like enough for what you need going forward. But give thanks for what you have. And that's what Jesus does. He gives the Father thanks. One of the common Jewish prayers went along the lines of, Oh God, King of Heaven, thank you for all of your blessings. And I think that's what Jesus is doing here. He's, he's thanking God for what they have. He blessed it, and then He starts distributing it. He does the same thing with the fish. And what God, Jesus is teaching us is, not only should you give thanks for what you have, you ought to just trust God for what you don't have. Trust God for what you don't have. And I think gratitude is giving thanks for what you have while trusting God with what you don't. That's what gratitude is. Gratitude is not ignoring your problems. Gratitude is not ignoring your pain. Gratitude is not ignoring what you lack or what you think you're missing. Gratitude, however, is giving thanks for what you have while trusting God for what you don't. And that's what Jesus is teaching us here, among other things, that He is grateful even in great need with a little resource. And He's going to say, Father, thank You for this. This came from You. You put it in the heart of that boy to bring this lunch. And this little boy never knew that day he got up that he was going to be a part of the plan of God. He was going to be a part of a miracle. And he was going to be written into the history of God's work in this world. Notice what happens. They bless the bread, bless the food, and then Jesus says, start distributing it among the, the crowd. Verse 12. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples... Gather up the leftover fragments so that nothing may be lost. I love that. Jesus says, we're not going to let anything go to waste. But once everybody's eaten and they are full, once everybody said, oh, I can't eat another bite. I, I just can't. No, no, no. No, thank you. I, I can't eat any more. Then you go and pick up everything that's left. We're not going to waste anything. Verse 13, so they, the disciples, so they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. This little boy only brought five little barley loaves. But after 20,000 people had eaten their fill, there were 12 basketfuls of fragments left over. This is nothing less than a miracle that we often call the feeding of the 5,000. And, and really, that's not correct. It was the feeding of the fifteen or 20,000, if you think about it. Just 5,000 men. But when you put everybody together, 
No one could deny they had just witnessed a miracle. Jesus gave thanks for what he had, trusted the Father for what he didn't have, and God worked a miracle that no one could stop talking about. As a matter of fact, it says in verse 14, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. The people misunderstood the message behind the miracle. They saw Jesus feeding thousands of people and said, this was what we were told would happen when the Messiah, the King of Israel, came back. The rightful heir of the throne of David. Jesus must be the Messiah we've been looking for. But the problem was they were looking for the wrong kind of Messiah. They were looking for a Messiah who would meet their physical needs only. Who would meet their political needs only. And what they did not realize is Jesus came to be the suffering Messiah. Who came to meet our real need. Our deepest need. And that is the forgiveness of our sin. And to give us the gift of eternal life. And so they want to make him a military king and go overthrow Rome. And they want to not talk about a cross. And so Jesus has to get away from the crowd because he knew what their intentions were. And later he would tell his disciples when he had them alone, the crowds misunderstood who I am and why I did that miracle. Jesus was telling telling them in verse 35, Jesus said to his disciples, I am the bread of life. That was the point of the miracle. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. They thought I was here just to give them their next meal or to perform the next miracle. What they did not understand is I came to give them myself. No matter what they have, no matter what they don't have, I am the source of real, eternal life. And I'm the only one who can satisfy the longings of the human soul. And they didn't realize, I'm the bread that you ought to be longing for. I'm the one you need in your life. And by the way, that's the real point of this miracle. Is Jesus is saying to them, I am the one who can meet all of your needs. You need to put your confidence in me. Put your confidence in me no matter what you have or what you don't have. Put your confidence in me to be your Lord and Savior. Because giving thanks, gratitude is giving thanks for what you have and trusting God with what you don't. And with Jesus, you actually have everything you need. Everything. You know, in this Thanksgiving season, one of the things that I thought we might need to be reminded of is that we can be grateful even when life is painful even when we're facing problems, even when life seems insurmountable in the problems it presents to us. But like Jesus, we can say, I'm going to be grateful for what I have. And I'm going to be trustful for what I don't have. I'm going to be thankful for what I have and trustful for what I don't have. I'm going to trust God. And can you imagine the difference gratitude will make in our lives if even in this year we become more grateful for the good things in our life and more trustful for the things we don't have in our life? I was thinking last night, being grateful, having a spirit of gratitude, it makes you more aware of the good things in your life. 
Have you ever bought a car and, and you're driving home from the dealership and now every time you stop at a red light, you see another car like yours? You didn't see them before, but now it's like they're everywhere. It wasn't that they just appeared. They've always been there. You just weren't aware of them. You just weren't looking for them. And gratitude starts making you aware of what's already there that's good in your life. Gratitude lifts your spirit with a greater optimism and sense of happiness. Gratitude alleviates our stress and, as my doctor says, lowers your blood pressure. That's always a good thing. Gratitude improves our contentment. Gratitude improves our relationships. Gratitude makes us more aware of God's presence in our life because we know every good thing we have ultimately comes from God. And gratitude, when understood as giving thanks for what I have and trusting God for what I don't have, makes me more dependent on God, draws me closer to God. I'm going to give you some homework I'm going to ask you to do something. Sometime today or this week before Thanksgiving, I want you to just take a sheet of paper and I want you to put a line down the middle. And on the left-hand side, I just want you to write the word thanks. And then on the right-hand side, I want you to write the word at the top, giving. So when you're done, you'll have thanksgiving. And then under the word thanks, just start writing out everything you've got to be thankful for. No matter how big or how small, it could be, God, I thank you for another day of life. God, I thank you for the beautiful sunrise I saw this morning. God, I thank you for my family that loves me. God, I thank you that doctors have chemotherapy treatment that can help me fight this cancer. God, I thank you for my church family. God, I thank you. Whatever it is, write it down. And listen, I think you're going to take a while if you start thinking about all the things you have to be thankful for. You'll probably go over to the next page and the next page if you're honest and if you're aware of what blessings you have to be thankful for. And when you're done, go over to that right-hand column where it says giving and write down everything that you're giving to God. God, I thank you I have these things, but God, there's some things in my life I don't have and I'm going to give them to you and I'm going to trust you with these things. God, I'm trusting you with my health. God, I'm trusting you with my finances. God, I'm trusting you for that next job. God, I'm giving to you my humility. I don't know what to do in this situation. I'm giving it to you, God. you got to help me. Write down what you're thankful for. Write down what you're giving to God and trusting Him for. And I guarantee you, if we're honest, what we have written down on the thanks column is going to be far greater and more numerous than what we have to give to God for. These are all real and they're all important. But I'm going to ask you, take some time and make a list of what you're thankful for and what you're trustful for. What you're thanking God for that you have and what you're giving to God in trust for what you don't have. And I think that's the key to being grateful even when life is painful. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray this morning that each one of us would be reminded that in Jesus, we have all that we need. We thank you that he is the bread of life. He gives us life, satisfaction, and it's life that will never end. And even though we have issues in our life that are painful and hurtful and fearful, we thank you that we have Jesus. And in Jesus, we have everything we need. And so, Father, I pray that we would turn our trust towards him.
as our personal Lord and Savior. Expressing our gratitude by giving thanks for what we have, but trusting Him with what we don't have. And God, there could be someone in this room today who for the first time in their life needs Jesus, or maybe they're watching me online, or they're listening to this message at a a later date, but they know deep down they need Jesus. And I pray that right now, wherever they are, they will stop and talk to you and say, Dear God, I admit to you I am a sinner. God, I thank you for loving me in spite of my sin. I thank you for sending Jesus to be my Lord and my Savior. He died on that cross for me. And right now, I believe he rose from the dead. So I just trust him. I put my confidence in Jesus to forgive me of my sin, to give me a gift called eternal life, to make me right with God the Father to be the true source of everything I need in time and in eternity. I receive Jesus into my life today. And Father, I thank you for your promised word that says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so whoever this is, right now trusting Christ as Savior, we welcome into the family of God by your grace through their faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me know what your next step is by going to our website, fcbc.life. And if we can pray for you or help you in any way, don't hesitate to let us know.